together in prayer. Father, we ask you to bless this service today. Bless us all that are in this room, all that are watching around the world, our stream family. We love them so much. Send your anointing on them. Father, give me an anointing to teach your word with revelation. Give us anointing on our eyes to see what you're, where you're leading us and ears to hear what you're saying to us. And we declare that our lives will never, ever be the same from this day forward. We're going to go up and up and up into the glory and the blessing and the things of God. And we receive it all and give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people shouted, give the Lord a clap offering. God bless you. Amen. Today is the day of Shavuot. Today is the day of Pentecost. The Bible says, is there not an appointed time? The word appointed in Hebrew is the word Moedim. The Bible says in these Moedims, we're to call on the Lord while he is near. God is God 24-7. Can I have an amen? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can I have an amen? So why does he say on these appointed times, call on God while I am near? God is God every moment of every day, but at these appointed times, the blessings that he brings to us are closer to us. I use this all the time. Tis taught it that in, in here in Dallas, it's the same sun in January that it is in August, but we feel the intensity of the sun different in August, not because the sun has changed, because that sun is closer to us. There are times, ancient Jewish wisdom says, that God comes off the throne and he comes and he walks amongst his people. These are one of those moments. Moedims. Every moment of every day, our God is the Lord of the harvest. Our God is a God of blessing and prosperity and healing. But today, say today. Today. Say it again. Today. Today, Today, the blessing of prosperity and debt cancellation is greater than it is any other time of the year. And I'm I'm not embarrassed to talk about prosperity. The Bible says, I would above all things that you prosper and be in health as your soul prospers, as your knowledge prospers. Where do we get the first fruit offering? In the book of Malachi chapter 3, they are meeting in what's called the, the great assembly. They're meeting in Jerusalem, all the, all the sages, all the prophets, all the leading rabbis. They have just come out of Babylonian captivity. The reason why they went into Babylonian captivity is because they were so blessed, they didn't feel like they needed God anymore, and they stopped letting their fields go fallow on what's called Shemitah. In other words, When we're in trouble and when we're in need, we cry out to God. But the danger is, is God says, remember, it's me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because all of us need to hear that. All of America needs to hear that. Remember, it's me who gives you the power to gain wealth. It doesn't matter if you're a carpenter. It doesn't matter if you cut lawns. It doesn't matter if you're a a stockbroker. It doesn't matter if you're a medical doctor. It doesn't matter whatever you're doing. It is God who gives us the power to gain wealth. And if we forget that, then we don't go physically into Babylonian captivity, but the enemy will come in and destroy us. So they're meeting in Jerusalem and they're saying every time we're blessed, we're following the Torah, we're following the the laws of God, we're blessed. 
we quit following what God says and we get off and boom, the enemy attacks us. So here's the book of Malachi. They say, God, what do we need to do? What does God say? He says, Teshuvah. It's a great Hebrew understanding. Return to me. And when you return to me, I'll return to you. They say, how do we return? Most of you know this, but I'm laying the foundation in tithes and in offerings. The offering is three times a year. We come before the Lord and we don't come empty handed. Passover, Pentecost, Shavuot, Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles. Those three times a year, we come before the Lord and we don't come empty handed. There's a great rabbi by the name of Rabbi Schneerson. And Rabbi Schneerson said in the 90s, he said the Messiah is ready to come except one thing. The Gentiles need to have their eyes open. When these Gentiles have their eyes open and they begin to understand, and that's why it's so powerful that you're sitting here or you're watching around the world and knowing it's Shavuot, knowing it's Pentecost, knowing it's first fruits. Rabbi prophesies and he says, the Messiah is ready to come, but one thing has to happen first. The eyes of the Gentiles will be open, and they'll begin to understand Passover. They'll begin to understand Shavuot. They'll begin to understand Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And he says, at first, the Jewish people, and this happened. At first, the Jewish people will say, why are you doing that? That's ours. But the blessing, now hear what I'm saying. The blessing of God will be so great on these Gentiles. Now tie that in with Ruth. Where are you now? Where's your business out? It's going to grow and grow and grow. Brother, sister, where are you at economically? Are you ready to grow and grow and grow? Are you ready to be the one who's, who's asking God to meet your rent to the one who is joint heir with Christ Jesus, living under every blessing of God that Jesus paid for? That is today. Somebody say today. Rabbi said, the blessing of God will be so great on these Gentiles that the Jew will see that, the Gentile will see that, and they'll all come back to God and together we'll see the Messiah. What does God say through the prophet Malachi? When you return to these things, I'll return to you and all the world will call you blessed. Do you understand that? How many are ready to get so blessed? What we're seeing in our lives is prophecy that brings back the Messiah. The Bible says in Acts chapter 15, the disciples are meeting in Jerusalem. If you look at Acts chapter 15, when you get home on the top of your page, page you will probably say the Jerusalem assembly. So all these Jewish disciples are meeting. And they're saying, what are we going to do? All these Gentiles are coming into the synagogue. And they have no idea how to act as a child of God. Imagine all of a sudden, we're flooded with people coming in from the streets. They have no idea. They've never heard of Christianity. They don't know anything of the Bible. And they all come running in and they're smoking dope and drinking Jack Daniels and cussing. They're loving God, but they're acting crazy. We love them coming in, worshiping God, but we got to teach them some stuff. Right? Because seeing them come to God 
is the rebuilding prophetically of the tabernacle of David. So they got together and they said, some said, well, we got to get them circumcised right away. And they said, no, wait, 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 wait. Let's not worry about those things. Don't burn them with things. Let's get them, let's get them to do this. Don't strangle meat before they eat it. Don't drink blood. Don't fornicate. Let's start them there. And he said, for the rest, they'll learn in the synagogue. For Moses is taught in every city. So there's two things there. Number one, there's a starting place. And then there's an elevation. Number two is their starting place is to go back to their cities. And as they go back to their cities, they're still in the synagogues. And Moses is the Torah. The building of the tabernacle of David is the Gentiles coming to learn what the Torah says. Go with me to the book of Amos chapter 9. This is prophetic. I feel it in every fiber of my body that today our lives are going to change. Your world changes today. If you receive that, shout amen. Have you got Amos, the book of Amos? Start with verse 11. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles, all the Gentiles. Now tie this in with Ruth. Why are they reading today the book of Ruth? Ruth was a Gentile. What does it mean to be a Gentile? Someone who has no covenant promises. Don't worry about what you eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to sleep. That's what those who have Gentiles, that's what those who have no covenant promise. So Ruth went to one who had no covenant promise to being a part of the house of God. That's what he's saying will happen. All the Gentiles, that's you, that's us. All the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Now, before I explain this, the tabernacle of David, look what the promise is to you Gentiles, us Gentiles. Verse 13, behold, the days are coming. Say they're coming. coming. Say they're coming today. The days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman, he'll overtake the reaper. And the treader of grapes, him who sows. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine. And all the hills will flow with it. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. And by the way, the vineyards and the olive trees that we're planting is the very spot that Amos prophesied this. It's the very hills that Amos stood on to prophesy this looking towards Jerusalem. I'll bring back the captives of my people Israel. They will build up the waste cities, inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit from them I will plant them in the land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord. Now, let me show you something here. 
So many times you hear people say, when Jesus comes, he'll rebuild the temple. That is not what it says. Years ago, when they first opened up the tunnel along the Western Wall in Jerusalem, you would go in and you had to go in with an Orthodox Jew because halfway through that tunnel on the Western Wall, right opposite that Western Wall was where the Holy of Holies was. It had to be a total kosher setting. And so you would walk in and the tour guide would be a Orthodox Jewish man or Jewish woman. And speaking to Gentiles, they would tell us the history of the temple. They would tell us the history of the Holy of Holies. But when they would do that, then I would jump in and teach the Jewish roots of that. For the first four or five years, when I started teaching Jesus and the Jewish roots of that, they would turn their back on me like this. You being a Gentile and Allowing me to teach you the Jewish roots is a prophecy that every Jew knows is supposed to happen right before the coming of the Messiah, but they never dreamed they would see it in their lifetime. You sitting here being the tabernacle of David is mind-boggling. More books have been written by rabbis about Jesus in the last two years than in the history of the world because all of a sudden you and I are showing the world a Jesus that ate kosher, that kept Shabbat, that celebrated Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We're not giving them a Catholic Jesus or a Baptist Jesus or a Pentecostal Jesus. We're giving them a Jesus that was born Jewish, that was circumcised on the eighth day, that had his bar mitzvah at the temple, that was raised Jewish, that grew up Jewish, that taught Jewish, that died Jewish. We're giving the world a Jewish Jesus. And to the Jews, this is God shouting, God is building the tabernacle of David, and you're the prophecy being fulfilled. Now, let me show you something. When Amos is prophesying about the tabernacle of David, what you need to understand is he's standing on that land that you and I are reclaiming for Israel, and he's looking at Jerusalem, and when he prophesies, the Gentiles will be the sign of the building of the tabernacle of David And Paul says that in Acts 15, why do they say the tabernacle of David? Because when Amos said this, the temple was still standing. Why didn't he say someday all the Jews and the Gentiles will worship at the temple? Why the tabernacle of David? When we went to Israel the last time, Zev, the head of the city of David, who's a good friend of ours, he said, Only a handful of people have seen this since the time of King David. And he took us to the side of a hill. I want you to picture in front of us is just the Arab villages, rocks and and sand and dirt down in front of us. And they said, we can't say 100% 
but we think by next year we'll be able to, that this is the tabernacle of David. It was in three sections. It's carved into the hillside. It's just rock. In there, there was a stone that was carved in a certain way that they knew that this was someone's place of worship. There was no holy of holies. There was no place to put the Ark of the Covenant. Why did God say, when I return, I'll rebuild the tabernacle of David? Let me, let me show you something here. The temple of Solomon was still standing. It would then be redone and beautifully done by Herod. Here we have the tabernacle of David, which is just dirt and rock. They probably had a little tent over because it was up on a steep hillside right next to David's palace. But let me show you the difference between that place of worship and the temple at the time of Jesus. Josephus writes these words, the historian that was at the time of Jesus. Viewed from without, the sanctuary in the temple had everything that could amaze either the eyes or the mind. It was overlaid all around with stout plates of gold. The first rays of the sun it reflected were so fierce, like a blaze of fire, that those who endeavored to look at the temple were forced to look away as if they were looking straight into the sun. To strangers, as they approached from afar, it seemed in the distance like a mountain covered with snow, because any part that was not covered in gold was dazzling white. The Holy of Holies was covered in gold. The walls, the columns, and all the buildings around were white marble. The floors were of Carrara marble. The blue tinge of the marble gave the impression of a moving sea of water. The curtains were tapestries of blue and white and scarlet and purple thread, depicting, according to Josephus, the whole vista of heaven. Historians estimate that there were about six to seven million Jews living in the Roman Empire at this time, plus about one million more living in Persia. Many of them would come to Jerusalem for the three pilgrim feasts, Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. So Herod built a huge space to accommodate such a huge number of people, hence the size of the platform around the temple. People say today that it was six football fields big. The walls, you've seen the western walls, the walls were 15 feet thick. Each stone was anywhere from the smaller stones two tons, most of the stones 100 tons, one stone 400 tons. The wall, if you've been to the western wall, you you understand that the wall didn't start there, it's way down below. The wall stood 20 stories high. The arch, many of us stood under the arch that the Romans collapsed. The arch that crossed the main road and the marketplaces below was the size of a four-lane highway. And this comes from a man who had seen Rome in all his glory. Listen to this, I quote. It was a structure more noteworthy than any under the sun. The height of the portico was so great that if anyone looked down from its rooftop, he would become dizzy 
and his vision would be unable to reach the end of so great a measure of depth. It had 162 columns that stood in the stoa, and being so large that three men standing in a circle could just barely hold hands at the base. There was about 150 mikvahs or ritual baths being filled on a series of aqueducts and pipes that stretched out over 50 miles. If somebody said to you, choose one of these places you would live, Herod's temple, gold, white marble, tapestries, six football fields long, or rock and dirt, no mikvah baths, open field all the way down to the little creek that runs by where people would baptize themselves and come and worship. So why does God say, now listen to this, when I see the Gentiles coming together and learning Torah and learning first fruits and learning Sukkot, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Because in the tabernacle of David, there were no veils of tapestry. There was no gold-plated holy of holies. In the tabernacle of David, there was no wall that separated men and women. There was no wall that separated Jew and Gentile. And there was no holy of holies that separated us from the power of God. Think about that. Think about who you are. Think about the book of Ruth. Think about today and the window of heaven open up and you going up from glory to glory to glory. You are here today, a living proof of Bible prophecy that the wall between Jew and Gentile will come down and God is rebuilding the tabernacle of David. When we were in the, at the Western wall, we went into the synagogue and we met this rabbi, this Orthodox rabbi, and I'd met him before and he puts his arm, he's walking out and he said, tell me what you're teaching. And I told him what we're teaching and he stopped with shock and he looks at me and goes, you're bringing back the Messiah. Listen to me, you being here, allowing me to teach this, you are bringing back the Messiah. And exactly what Rabbi Schneerson said, the people are going to wonder, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? This is not for you. This is Jewish. God said, these are my feasts and I will see them forever. And you know that when God opens the windows of heaven this time and brings debt cancellation, I claim not only will God bring us prosperity, everything that's been stolen is coming back. Everything that should have been your mother or your grandmother or your father or your grandfather. This is, I tell you prophetically, this is the launching of a new beginning in every area of your life. Can I share one more thing? Between the time of Passover and the time of Shavuot right now, it's the counting of the Omer. There is one day called Lagba Omer. And Lagba Omer is the time in which they celebrate the curses broken. And it's a time that they celebrate the things that have been hidden in wisdom are released unto God's people. Should I say that again? The time called Lag Ba Omer is a time in which they celebrate a curse being broken. What was the curse? The curse was 
the children of God were fighting amongst each other and there was division. And when they repented of division and they came in the unity, God broke the curse. And then God said, because of this, I will release to you. Think about Pentecost. I will lead you, guide you, teach you. He said, I'll release you. In English, it's called divine wisdom that was limited to a few. But God said at the end, I'll give it to everyone. When we were in Israel, it was like Ba'omer. And one of the things that they do is they go to the park and they shoot bows and arrows to celebrate divine wisdom. How does that happen? Why does that happen? Think about you being in a battle. The first weapons you had were a club, a knife, a sword. And you could only kill the enemy if you could reach him. But then someone came up with a bow and arrow. And now you could destroy the enemy before he ever gets to you. Right? Are you following me? But ancient Jewish wisdom says the arrow is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. The bow is your body. The hand is God. But before you can destroy the enemy with that arrow, the wisdom of God, you have to pull it to your heart. You're not just hearers of the word. When you're a child, you can pull the bow back a little bit and it'll go out a few feet. But the stronger you get, the more wisdom you get, the more your soul flourishes, the more your soul learns, the farther you can pull that back. And the closer you bring it to your heart, even enemies that are hiding can be destroyed. Even enemies that you don't see yet will be destroyed. Even enemies who are hiding will be destroyed. Years ago, I was sitting in a meeting with a man from Brazil. Never met him before. I'd just done Benny Hen's program and I was telling him some of the things I was learning. Benny Hen looked at me and he said, you're Derek Prince. Derek Prince's anointing's on you. Two days later, after I was doing Betty's program, I was doing the Osteen's church. We're having dinner, and Dodie looked at us, and she started weeping. I said, Dodie, what's wrong? She goes, Pastor, Derek Prince's anointing's on you. And I said, well, out of the mouths of two or three witnesses, all I need is one more. <laughs> Sunday, we left to come back to Portland to start our Bible conference in reaching out to healing broken ministries, broken pastors. We had a man from Brazil coming to preach, and I never met him before. We met him that morning. He was started that night with him, that, met him that day for lunch. He was with Larry Stockstill. He's Larry Stockstill, a good friend of his. And he says, didn't even speak English. He says to me, he said, I had a dream last night, and I'm supposed to tell you this, and I don't even know what it means. And I said, what was it? He said, I was sitting on a platform with Derek Prince. And he said, in front of Derek was a sea of people, and they were coming to thank Derek for 
being taught and being set free. And he said, behind us we heard this noise and there was an ocean. And he said, Derek turned to minister to the ocean. And he said, the hand of God came down and put it on Derek's shoulder. And he said, stay seated. Your time is done. I'm raising up another. Now, I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying this. God chooses the foolish to confound the wise. But I want you to listen. I want you to listen to this. We're sitting there and people said, you need to find Derek Prince. I said, I don't know anything about him. We tracked him down in the next two days. And of all places, guess where he lives? Jerusalem. So we called Derek. I didn't know then. Derek was a very private guy. He was never, didn't meet with people. It was very, even even in, in when he was young, he was very private. So we called and, we, and got his assistant. He said, well, Derek doesn't meet with people, but can I ask you why? And so we told him. He said, stay by the phone. I'll call you right back. He called me back and he said, Derek wants to know when you can get here. And I said, well, when do you want me to be here? And he said, he's dying. You need to get here right now. We jumped on a plane, got to Jerusalem, got up to, uh, got to Tel Aviv, went to Jerusalem, that, got there late that night. Next morning, they picked us up. We walked into Derek's home in Jerusalem, and his assist, one of his assistants says, we're so sorry, Derek is so sick, he can't get out of bed. I said, we'll, we'll come back and nothing. He said, no, no, he's waiting. We went in this room that was, he had a hospital bed there. And it was just big enough for two of us to stand in there, and everybody else stood in the doorway and outside. He said, tell me what you're teaching. I need to hear from God. He said, let's sing. In that little room, no, no instruments, we began to sing and worship God. I've never felt anything like that in my life. And all of a sudden, he stopped. He goes, I've heard from God. I've got a picture in my office of him. I'm kneeling at his bed. He can't get up. He's propped up. He's laying hands on me. And he says a bunch of things, but one of the things he said, and it hit me today. I hadn't thought about this. It hit me today. He said, you'll be the arrow shot from the bow of God's hand. And you will reach the nation's. And it will destroy the enemies that have been destroying my people. I, I say to you, that arrow is the wisdom of God. You sitting here in all of our stream family, we could not do what we do without our stream family. Allowing me to teach... And so many of you, your friends say, well, you're, you're, you're keeping Sabbath. You're doing those things. But that rabbi at the Western Wall Shabbat turns and goes, you're bringing back the Messiah. Listen to me. You're bringing back the Messiah. You're bringing the Messiah. And we're not going home with a moan. We're going out with a shout. Today, our lives change. Can I have an amen? How many have been waiting for a financial breakthrough? How many have been waiting for debt to be canceled miraculously? And when you're out of debt, you'll stay out of debt. Am I right? No, no sense in you know, getting back into debt. How many are waiting for everything the devil stole to come back? God just spoke a prophetic word to me. Don't limit how that's going to come to you. I just got a phone call two days ago. Said... There's a move of God to come to the Jewish roots in Jakarta. If you would come, you'll speak to 20,000 Christians a night. And I said, who's going to pay for this? And this man said, I'll pay for everything. 
I'll, I'll pay for the I'll pay for the whole thing. And so, don't limit how God can do this. There's no limit to what God can do. He's going to take His word and make it come back alive. Amen. Come to agreement with me in prayer with you. Grab your neighbor's hand. Father, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, who is our Messiah. Father, we pray and we claim that today our lives will change. We go from the foreigner to the joint heirs with Christ Jesus because we know that Jesus didn't just come to get us to heaven. That is the main thing. We could never praise him enough or thank him enough, but he's come to give us life and that life more abundant. And Father, we don't have an abundant life when we're in debt. We don't have an abundant life when we're concerned about bills. We don't have abundant life when we can't do financially the things that you called us to do. So God, we claim today on Shavuot that the window of heaven is open and you're going to pour us out such a blessing that we cannot contain it all. That means our bills are paid. That means our debts are canceled. And that means that we receive a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, where we don't have room enough to receive it. And Father, we will use this offering to save people's lives. And we know you'll honor it in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. And all God's people that are ready for a breakthrough, shout amen. Amen. Now here's what we're going to do. On Passover, you brought a barley offering. Barley was a slave offering. It's what the animal, that's what the Jews ate in, in Egypt, barley. It's what the animals ate. And they brought one loaf of barley as an offering. On Shavuot, you bring two loaves of wheat. We're not slaves to this world anymore. We may be in this world, but this world does not control our destiny. And so we're told to bring the offering, a a, a double offering of a wheat offering. What's the blessing on Shabbat? Blessed are thou, Lord, King of the universe, who brings bread from the earth. Not wheat, bread. In other words, God's going to bypass all the middle people and bring the blessing to you. And it's coming quick. Can I have an amen? We have the Torah. Our Torah has a lion on it. The Torah is the word of God. Jesus Christ is the living word of God. That's why the woman said, if I could touch the hem of his garment, I know that I'd be made whole. He's going to take every promise and make it alive. Jesus is the living word of God. The word of God will come alive t- to you. You'll be the lender, not the borrower. The head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. Can I have an amen? We're getting a divorce from our old life and married to the blessings of God. I believe a thousand percent prophetically. This is our breakthrough time. Let's give God all the praise and all the glory. Amen.